This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. Before we kind of dive into, I believe, what God has for us today, I'm going to ask you to stay standing, and we're going to read through this verse in John chapter 8. It says this, and I know I don't have shoes on, all right, so I know you're, you're looking at that right now. Um, you're just going to have to deal with it for a little bit. There's a reason for it, but we're going to get to that, so just hang in there. But this is what Jesus said in John chapter 8. He said, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth. He says there's this process that if you, if you kind of understand why I came, if you understand what I want to do in and through you, there's this growing that happens. And really that's why we're here today. That's why this church was born. That's why we call it Elevate Church. We wanna take you in this process of growing, of understanding God's truth for your life. He says, you'll, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I love that. That's good, all right. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of any one. Keep reading. How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I know we don't have any sinners in here this morning, but some of us sin. Now as a slave has no permanent place in the family. In other words, uh, someone who is a slave to sin, they, they're not experiencing God's best for their, their life. There, there's more. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I often feel like, man, there's just more that God wants from me. There's, there's more that he wants to do in me and through me. He says it doesn't have a permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, what does it say? You will be free indeed. My prayer today for this church that you find that freedom, that you understand this is a process of freedom, that freedom is not this, this one-time instantaneous thing that comes into your life. It is. It's both immediate, but it's also progressive. And we're going to talk about that today. We're in this series called Open House, and we've really opened the doors to describe what the heartbeat is of this house, what the heartbeat is of this church. And last week, you know, we, we saw, uh, you know, 70 people get baptized. That's unbelievable. I know you guys celebrated that already. But we talked about having this God encounter that it all starts there. And people got baptized, yes, but there were people as well in this room that had an encounter with God, maybe their first ever, and they found that freedom immediately come into their, their life. But it's also a process. And today we're gonna talk about that process, which is step two in this, and it's experiencing freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ. Would you bow your head with me? Let's pray. God, today I pray that you would open up our hearts, that you would open up our, our minds. God, that there would be an open heaven for us to have this connection with you, God, for us to have another encounter with you today, that you would speak to us and that you would set us free in Jesus' name, that we would understand what the truth is of your word. 
And God, that today many people in this room would be set free. Maybe we came through these doors and we didn't even understand that we needed freedom until this very moment. And so God, I pray today that we find that. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. Amen, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, band, this morning. You guys sound awesome. You sound awesome. Uh, again, we're in this series called uh, Open House. And the reality is every person in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, you've experienced some level, some degree of freedom in your, your life. But the problem is most of us don't stay there. Like we have this tendency to what, what is known as a churchy word. And people say that, well, they've fallen from, you know, grace or they've fallen out of, you know, they're starting to sin. They're starting to repeat this pattern in their life. And what they'll say in the church is that they have backslidden. You heard that before? Oh, he's a backslider. All right. But the reality is many of us experience this, this degree of freedom in our life. And we have this tendency to fall away. We have this tendency to fall back into bondage for a while. Jesus, in fact, predicted this. He knew this was coming for you. He knew this was coming for me. And one of the worst verses in the Bible, my wife, Kristen, she has this chalkboard in our, in our dining area. It's kind of like this in our kitchen, eating kitchen area. And she puts up a verse on this chalkboard. And this verse is for our family to memorize. You know, it's something that's positive. It's something, you know, it's one of the foundational truths of God's word. And we'll, we'll memorize that as a family. This verse I'm about to share with you is not going on that chalkboard. This is not a fun verse, but this is something that, that Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. Jesus says this, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. That's a bummer, right? It's gone, but he's coming back. So it returns and it finds that former home. That is your Life, that is what, what, you know, all that you've done, all that maybe you've accomplished, the freedom that you've found, they found that that home is swept and in order, that you've broke free from some things in your life, that you've gotten some things together in your life. And many of you have felt like that before. You feel like, man, I'm headed in the right direction. I'm fighting freedom from these things in my, my life. They find that home is swept and in order. It says this, then the spirit find seven other spirits more evil than itself and they all enter the person and live there that's terrible right that's awful that's not that's not good news it says so that person is worse off than they were before welcome to elevate church where all we want to do is encourage you with the word of god right that's terrible nobody likes that verse and i believe jesus is warning us of this dynamic that most people maybe aren't aware of. But listen to me, it doesn't have to be this way. It's not that Jesus is giving us this verse to tell us what is going to happen. He's saying that this doesn't have to happen. This is a, a warning for me. This is a warning for you. Here's what I believe he's saying. He's saying what you need to hear today is be careful that when you find freedom of something in your life, when you finally start to break free of some cyclical pattern, some sin you know, pattern that's in your life, the fight's not over. Don't let down your guard. You need to be careful. Your enemy's coming back. It's this pattern. And the good news today is this. If it's not a problem if you know what to look for. It's not a problem if, if you, you see what's coming and then you know what to do when it happens. And today my goal is to help us know what to look for, but also help us to know what to do when that happens. Because the cycle really takes place 
all over, not just in your Christian life, but this takes place in government. This takes place in marriages and business and structure. There's this, this cycle of destruction that happens uh, because we all long for, I want you to write this down. I have the pleasure of, you have the pleasure of, of, of my handwriting this morning, all right? This is going to be, man, it's just gonna blow your mind how awesome my handwriting is. It's like a third grader's handwriting, it's terrible, all right? But write this down, all right? Because this is what everyone wants in their life. Everyone wants freedom. We all want freedom. We all have a little bit of blue face painted brave heart in all of us, right? Freedom! Love that movie. We all have this longing, this desire not to stay where we are, not to stay in a current condition of maybe sin or self-destruction. We all have something inside of us that wants freedom. And here's the good news. God put that inside of you. God put that desire, that longing inside of you to experience something better, to experience freedom in your life. We all have this desire for freedom. It's the same, it's the same reason why, um, you know, we... We had victory in the, the Revolutionary War because this desire to, to get out from oppression, this desire to, to be free, this desire to get out from taxation and you know, to, to declare our own independence. It's this freedom that's inside of each one of us. But here's the problem that often comes with freedom, and that is prosperity. Now you're like, what's the problem, right? What's the problem? Prosperity sounds like a good thing, but here's what happens, not in just your life, but also in, in governments and businesses. When you experience freedom, you also experience this time of prosperity in your life. And sometimes it's a financial prosperity, not, not always, but sometimes when a government or a business finds itself, you know, being free from, from something or some practices, they experience this, this gain in their life. It produces prosperity. And again, you're like, what's the problem with prosperity? There's an inherent problem with prosperity. And that is oftentimes it, it breeds complacency and pride. And you start to let down your guard. You start to think, well, I'm good. I got this. Like I'm free, I'm experiencing some growth, I'm experiencing some prosperity, and you start to let down your guard. And you start to feel like, man, you're capable, you can do this on your own, and how that plays out in government structures really is that you experience this freedom, and something that's happened here in the U.S. is you just spend, 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 right, more money. And right now, um, I think taxpayers cover 60% of the budget and the other 40%, you know, our government just has to borrow. Like, think if that were you, right? Like, if you could spend 40% more than what you make, some of you do that, you need to stop doing that. But oftentimes with this freedom comes prosperity and then we start to let down our guard and that leads to the, the next part in this cycle and that is we end up back in bondage. We end up back in bondage and then it, repeats itself again. There's this cycle, there's this pattern that happens. Freedom, prosperity, bondage. Freedom, prosperity, bondage. And you can look through histories of countries, of governments, of businesses, of marriages, of whatever, and you'll see this cycle constantly repeating itself. So the question is, how do we get it to stop? How do we get it to stop here? Because that's what all of us want. 
Like we don't want this cycle to repeat itself, but the reality is many of you have had this happen in your own life. You'll find some freedom. You'll find some relief of some sin pattern in your life only to again start the cycle all over. So how do we fully experience freedom? How do we have it and keep that freedom? That's the big question. So assuming that everyone in this room, maybe you have some level, some degree of freedom that you're experiencing right now, how do you keep from going back through that all over again? And I want you to know this, the early church had the same issue. In fact, in the early church, um, there was this battle against the Old Testament law and in keeping the commands. There are some 600 plus commands that, that they were trying to keep and it was hard and they couldn't do it, which is exactly you know, why God instituted that in the first place. He wanted to demonstrate that apart from God, we weren't capable, that there was no way we could be good enough on our own. So by the way, if that's your system of religion uh, that is based on your effort, you're going to discover that you can't do it. You're gonna get, discover that you're never going to be good enough to do it. It's not about how good you are. It's all about God's grace in your life. And that was all to set up Jesus. So Jesus comes into the picture to show us that we need something more, that we needed uh, someone to cross that bridge, to, to come to us so we could experience that freedom. So the early church received this new gospel, the gospel of grace, this gospel of peace through Jesus. And because of that, we form this deep, passionate love for God, this love for Jesus that transformed our, our belief, our thought structure from, man, I got to do these commands, I got to, because that's what is, the written law says, to I get to, because I'm so in love with Jesus, I'm so in love with God that I get to, it, it changes this, this have to to want to. I, I think of it in terms of this, if, if my wife were to come up to me and say, Colby, why do you love me? And I was to respond, because I got to. That's not going good for me, all right? You know that. So it's this deep, compassionate love that, that compels us to, to want to, to want to follow his laws, to want to follow. It's a change. It's a, a change in mindset. But even the early church, not, not long after Christ was resurrected, they had this tendency to drift back, this tendency to backslide into this cycle all over again. And Paul addresses this in the book of Galatians. He says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He set us free to have freedom. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. In other words, you can stop this. You don't have to continue in this cycle of freedom, prosperity, bondage. You can stop this. So again, the question is, right, how? How do we do that? Because there are two forms of freedom. There's both that, that immediate freedom that you have when, when you give your life, you surrender your life to follow Christ. But then it's also this progressive freedom. It doesn't stop there. That's, there's that instant. And a lot of times we call this deliverance. You have deliverance. You've been set free. But it's not just that you've been set free once. It's not that there's just deliverance. Now there's discipleship. There's this process of growing. There's this journey that you and I have to go on and now in order to stay free you have to engage in that journey i'll put it this way staying free is kind of like systematically peeling back the layers of an onion and it's revealing maybe some hurt that happened in your life and you and you kind of get set free from that and you you move forward in that and then you peel back another layer 
And there's some, there's some bitterness, there's some unforgiveness, there's some, some root you know, that's, that's in there a little deeper and you peel back some more. It's this process, it's this journey of staying free. Freedom is not just immediate, it's progressive. And I, I wanna use the story of the prodigal son. Many of you have heard this story before. It's found in Luke chapter 15. As you uh, go ahead and turn there, we're gonna have the scripture up here on the screen as well. But I wanna use this as the vehicle to drive this Drive this idea of how we stay free, how we find full freedom in Christ home. And if you don't know the story, while you're looking for it, there's a man who had two sons. And his younger son did the unthinkable. He goes to the father and he says, hey, dad, I want my share of the inheritance like now, all right? And if you were telling this to a Jewish audience during this day, you would hear this gasp go across the room because in essence, that would mean the son is saying, hey, dad, I don't care if you're dead or not. Like, you might as well be dead because I don't care about that. All I care about is my money, my part. You know, that's all I want. I want my share of the inheritance now. And the Bible tells us that the, that the father, through his just act of graciousness, goes ahead and divides his estate. Now, I want you to remember that he divides his estate between his two sons. And we're going to come back to that. But he gives the son his, his portion and the younger son goes off and he just Waste it, right? He goes, it'd be like you and me going to Vegas and just blowing it all. And he blows it on prostitutes and booze and all that stuff. And the Bible literally says that that's what he does. And so he blows it all. And then, like many of us, something happens. He finds himself in a severe famine. And this whole process kind of starts all over again. And he gets desperate for something. He finds himself without money, without food, without anything, stranded, and he's desperate. Last week we said that desperation is the preparation for an encounter with God, and that's what we're going to find again today, that he gets desperate for something different. He wants something more than what he has, and once he gets desperate enough, he takes his first step that begins this journey of freedom, and I'm praying that some of you in this room, you take your first step today as well, and I want you to write these notes down. I want you to write down this process of, of finding freedom and staying free because this is something that you're going to need. This is one of those messages that you're going to wanna to come back to often in your life. You might be sitting there this morning and thinking, I'm good, but I promise you, if you live any amount of time, you're gonna understand that this life is like a roller coaster. That sometimes, you know, things are going well for you. You feel like you're firing on all four, four cylinders but then there's other times in your life where you head back down into that, that valley and we will all have that moment. So I encourage you to take out a pen, take out a pencil and jot these notes down. Write this stuff down, know this process. Work this process and I promise you, I promise you, you're gonna have a life like no other. And he took the first step. And the first step which many of us are reluctant to take that we need to take is this, you need to reveal your need for help. Write that down. You need to reveal your need for help. You got to admit it. Now I know the pushback. Everyone says, well, I don't want to admit it. You know, I, I, I'm fine with admitting it to God. This is what people say. I'm fine with admitting my stuff to God. I'm fine with exposing that, that to him. But I don't want to tell anyone else. Like, I don't want anyone else to think that, that I got issues, that I have problems in my life. And I just want to say to you, if that's your approach to this, you will never experience freedom. Like you will always stay in 
bondage because one of the key ingredients to finding freedom and staying in lasting freedom is to say, I've got a problem. Like I messed up and I need help. Now that's hard, isn't it? Especially for some of us guys because we don't like to admit we need any help because we're, we're men, we're strong. You know, we're the protector, we're the rock. We got it all together. We don't like to seem like we're vulnerable. It's hard for us, but to be honest, one of the most courageous things that you can do, that I can do, not just for men, for anyone, is to reveal that you need help. Is to reveal, is to admit that you need help. Watch what happens in this story in chapter 15. Starting in verse 15, it says this. So he went and hired himself out. He, 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 he said, you know what, I'm not gonna get help. I'm gonna fix this myself. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating. That's, that's desperate right there, that's, that's desperation. But no one gave him anything. Now here's the key phrase, underline this, highlight this. When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, you want to be free, you have to get to that point in your life where you say enough, is enough. Like you are so sick of where you are that you look in the mirror and you say, I, I'm coming to my senses. Something has got to change in my life. Enough is enough. And by the way, just so you know, you can't say enough is enough for someone else. People who don't want this, I mean, you, you can't force it on them. It has to be their coming to that conclusion that enough is enough. You gotta get to that place where you say, is enough Enough is enough. I've come to my senses. I need help. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? But here I am starving to death. You will never experience freedom if you don't admit it, if you don't reveal the fact that you need help, that you have a problem. So let's, let's, let's get 100 up in here. Right? Let's get 100%. Let's be honest. Who wants to do that? Like right now, who wants to stand up, come up here and go first and reveal you got a problem? Anybody? Nobody's volunteering. Nobody wants to do this. This is extremely difficult, especially in an environment like that. That's why, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but that's really the secret behind getting in groups. That's why we get into small groups of people. Nobody's gonna stand up in this room and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I have an issue with this. That's why we get you in groups and point you to groups. We're getting ready to launch another session, another season of groups at the end of September. You're gonna hear a lot about that, but we don't have groups, church, just so you can have something else to do. Like we don't have groups just so you can engage in another Bible study. We don't do groups just so you can, you know, do another curriculum or work through something. Can I be extremely honest with you? I don't give a flip what curriculum you study in a group. It's not about that. It's never been about that. It's about getting you in an environment where you can surround yourself with people and you start to become comfortable enough to where you tell them, hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is where I'm having issues. This is where I have a problem. To get you in a group of people where they can come to you and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. You have to reveal that you have a problem, that you have issues. And some of you, here's the pushback, that environment scares me. 
That environment scares me. I wouldn't know what to do in that environment. With all due respect, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Like get yourself surrounding with people where you can be comfortable enough to where, and maybe it's not even the whole group. Like if you got issues in your life, grab two guys out of the group. Take them outside and say, hey, you guys look messed up. You are way more messed up than me. You know, I got this problem and I need your help. That's really the secret. That's really the heart behind groups. That's why we push it so hard is because it's the only way for you to find full, lasting freedom. Life change happens best in the context of deep friendships, not deep teaching. It's never been about that. It's always been about those deep relationships and friendships. And I'll be honest, I'll do anything to get you in that environment where you can open up your heart and you can say, hey, this is what I'm going through because that's the only way you'll find lasting change. You'll find lasting freedom in your life. And once you get there, here's the, the second thing the prodigal son did. Write this down. He repented. Now, I know as soon as I say repent, you know, there's a lot of different ideas on what that, that looks like and what that means. And we're going to talk about that. Maybe it doesn't mean quite what you think it means. But he repented to God and to others. Write that down. To God and to others. This is huge. In verse 18, he says, I'm going home. I'm going to set out. I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say, you know, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now, don't miss this. All right, he, he realized he wasn't going to be free just by working it out with God alone. That is one of the biggest misconceptions in Christianity that, all right, this is my deal, this is my issue, me and God will get through this. I'll admit it to God, I'll repent to God, and, and, and me and God will take care of this, you know, and I'll move forward beyond this. That's great, but that's not God's design. That's not God's process in that. He didn't design it that way. He has a role to play in it, absolutely, but people have a role as well. This is God's role. He does what people can't do, and that is forgive you. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we, you know, seek, uh, if we confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive us. That's his role. That's God's job. People cannot do that for you, but there's another part. Because it doesn't say that, that it will never happen again. It doesn't say that you'll never fall back into this pattern ever again. It doesn't say that it will happen again. So that's why you need the second part of that. And that's James 5, 16. It says, now confess your sins to each other, to one another, another person, one of God's people, and pray together so that you will be healed. So you will be kept from doing it again. So you'll be kept from repeating that same cycle over and over. God designed it that way, that we confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to God's people for healing. So we can break this cycle in our lives because when you do that, here's what happens. There's, a, there's this unbelievable power that comes into the process where now you have accountability, you have sustainability, you've built these relationships with one another. And they keep you on track and on focus. You're going to find that there's tremendous power in repentance and repenting to other people. Now, repenting, this is, this is a misunderstood word. Like, people think, they'll all just come before God and I'll say I'm sorry and that'll be that. 
I'll say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, and that'll be that, I'll be done and move on. That's a part of it, but that's a very small part of it in reality. Like the word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia, um, which, which your New Testament was originally written in uh, Greek. The word meta means to change. Means like metamorphosis, right? Something changes structure, it changes. And then noia means mind. So literally, this repent, this metanoia means you start this process of changing your mind. You start changing the, the way you live. You start changing, you know, your lifestyle. And I know you don't change your mind in like a split second. Nobody does. It's this process. That's why only in a group dynamic where you can sit there across the table from someone where there can be this true repentance, this confession, where you can say, you know what, um, man, this is what I'm going through. And little by little, bit by bit, you start to look at your life and you're changing. You're becoming different. You're living differently. You're thinking differently. You're, 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 you're doing different things. And if you don't have that dynamic, here's what happens. Because many of you in this room, you, you've thrown out one of those Hail, Hail Mary prayers to God. Like God, Maybe you got drunk on a Saturday night, all right? And this is Elevate Church, so this is gonna hit home with a lot of people. I'm just saying. I'm not saying that's good. You're messed up, I'm just saying. No, but this is what you've said. God, if you get me out of this mess, I promise I will never do it again. You ever prayed that prayer? God, if you just, if you free me, I'm so sorry for doing this, God. You know, I, I feel guilty. Uh, you know, I'm ashamed of this. But if you just kind of help me out right now, I promise I'll never do it again. And so God frees you maybe in that moment. And you feel like, all right, I'm great. And then two weeks later, what happens? You go back through it all over again. And then you shake your fist at God and say, God, but I said I was sorry. I repented. Why is this happening in my life again? Why am I going back through this again? He says, yeah, you said you were sorry, but you didn't do my process. You confessed to me, but you didn't confess to others for healing, for accountability, for sustainability in that pattern in your life. I'm telling you, church, it's the only way for you to find lasting freedom. And I will do anything, anything to get you in that group where you can just expose your heart and just say, you know what, this is what I'm going through. It's part of his process. Now, even after you take that step, I wish I could tell you that after you, you know, reveal that you need help, after you repent to God, after you go through this process of changing your mind, that you'll never again have the desire to fall back into that same pattern, to fall back into the cyclical pattern, fall back into bondage in your life. I wish I could tell you that, but there's a reality at play. And that is the fact that you and I have a spiritual enemy. And he wants nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy that which is good in your life. And he will do his best to remind you of who you were when to remind you that you'll never be more than this, that this is the pattern of your life. He will do his best to remind you of that. That's why number three is this, you have to reject the lies. You have to daily choose to reject the lies of the enemy. For somebody here today, I'm praying that you find some freedom in your life and you might experience some freedom in your life, but you're gonna walk out these doors and before you get to your car, the enemy's gonna be whispering in your ear, hey, that wasn't a real confession. 
hey, you're not really set free. I know what you did last night. I know what you did last summer. That was a movie. And if he doesn't do it by the time you get to your car, he's certainly going to tell you these things in your life by tomorrow or by the next day. He wants you to, to never move forward in this process. He wants you to stay here in bondage. Watch it in this story. This is an interesting part of the story that doesn't get a lot of airtime in Luke 15. In verse 29, it says this, uh, the big brother's out in the field. He hears all this commotion. He hears this, this celebration that's going on. And he's like, what is happening? And a worker comes out and says, your brother, your little brother's come home. Like he's back. And your dad's throwing a party. He's killed the fat calf. And his, his son has come home. The older brother gets angry, right? He says, that's not fair. And I can understand his anger. He's like, he's taken all his money, all his inheritance, and he's blown it on prostitutes and booze, and he's getting rewarded for it. And this is what the father says, son, come join the party, verse 29. He answered his father this, he says, look, dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. All these years I've been slaving for you. This kind of reminds me of my kids when we ask them to do chores around the house. Dad, I've been slaving for you. And I just want to stop them usually and say, hold up, hold up. You get to eat three square meals here every day. You don't pay rent. I know they're, you know, 11, 9, and 6, but I'm just saying. I've been slaving for you. We ask our boys to take out chores. Oh, Dad, slaving for you. They don't always say slaving, but. He says, I've been slaving for you, and I never, watch this language, I never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me even a goat. And like, you're giving him a calf, you know, and I haven't even had a goat. He says, so I could celebrate with my friends. That's a strange party, by the way. I just don't even want to dive into that. <laughs> but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, this is what I want you to hear. This older son has listened to some lies. The first lie he listened to was the lie of, I've never done anything wrong. I've never done anything wrong. Now, unless he was Jesus, we know that's not true. But he used that language, I've never done anything wrong. The second thing he was badly mistaken was when he said, and you never gave me even a goat. Remember when I said, we're gonna come back to this, that the father divided his estate? Like right then and there, the father divided his estate between his two sons. And in Jewish culture, the older son would automatically receive double portion. Would automatically receive a double of the inheritance. So that day, the father divided his estate. He gave the older son two thirds and the younger son one third of it. And yet he's saying, you've never given me anything. You've never even given me just even a goat. And his father's saying, well, I gave you two thirds of the company. A goat? I gave you the whole flock of goats. What are you talking about? But it's this lie that perpetuates that you've never done anything for me. He believed a lie. And I hate to tell you this, church, but the enemy's never gonna stop telling you lies. He's never gonna stop, even if you find some freedom, some momentary freedom, even if you reveal it, even if you start to admit, even if you start to kind of get help, even if you get into a group, you start to make these deep friendships with each other, like he's never gonna stop telling you lies. And you've gotta learn how to 
reject those lies. You gotta learn how to capture those lies and make them obedient to the, the truth of God. You gotta learn how to say, no, you don't, devil. I'm not that person anymore. I'm not that way anymore. I'm not, you know, who I wanna be, but I, praise God, I'm not who I used to be. I'm in this process. And so the father explained it to him. He said, my son, the father said, you're always with me. And then he kind of, kind of, hey, remember everything I have is yours. Remember, I gave you two thirds of it. I gave your younger brother one third of it. Everything that I have is yours. It belongs to you. You have to learn to reject the lies. And the last one is this. You got to receive God's truth. You got to receive God's truth. And this is what I would say. You have to daily receive God's truth. Now I'm going to show you something as we kind of wrap up this story in this, in this story of the prodigal son that maybe, maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've never heard this part of it. And it outlines it beautifully. I believe what the truth is of God for, for you and for me in our lives. Verse 22, it says this, but the father said to his servants, these three things, the same three things that God wants you to have today. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Those three things, the ring, the robe, and the sandals. He says, bring the, the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. What was lost is now found. So they began to celebrate the robe, the ring, and the shoes. I want to talk about these three things real quick as we close. First of all, the robe. This is the, the robe of, of righteousness. Um, here's my robe. And I got my shoes down there too, so you know what's coming. Like, when is he going to put on some shoes? First of all, is the robe of righteousness. Now, that word righteousness, that's a churchy word. I, I get that. That's a churchy churchy word, but let me unpack it for you just a little bit. Isaiah says that, that God, he clothes us in his righteousness. Your righteousness is, is the way you see yourself, but the reality is you and I, we don't always see things as they are. Like we, we see things as, as we are. Like everything that happens in your life, your experiences, everything, the way that you see yourself passes through this filter of, of your experiences, of what you've done. You don't see things as they are. You see things as, as you are. That's why it's critically important that we first put on this robe, the robe of righteousness. Because God says that when we put on the robe of righteousness, we, we clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. That when God sees us now, we got this thing on, I'm not gonna put it on because I'm gonna sweat if I do. But when he looks at us and we're wearing this, he doesn't see this pattern. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your past you know, offenses, your, your trespasses. All he sees is his son, Jesus. He sees his perfect sinless son, his sacrifice that he made for you. So you need to put this on. If you're in Christ, you're wearing this. You have the robe of righteousness. And then he talks about this ring. He gave him the ring. This is the ring of authority. 
Now, the ring that, that he would have given the, the younger son was a, was a family ring, like a, a signet, like a, a crest on it. This, this, is, this is just my wedding ring, right? This isn't the ring of authority. It's the ring of my wife's authority. She's got authority on me, I'm just saying. But he put this, this ring on, this, this family ring, this signet ring. Basically, this was, this was giving him access to all that the family had. They would use this ring oftentimes in transactions of property or, you know, livestock or whatever. They'd often write this agreement in clay. They'd take that ring and they'd smash it in the clay, leave this impression. It was good as money, as good as money. And here's what you need to know. Some of you, you don't know this about you. If you're in Christ, you have the ring of authority. You have access to the most powerful name in the universe, the name of Jesus. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that you have access to that name, that anything you ask for in that name, he says, will be given to you. And this, people will catch me after church and I'm not, I'm not knocking this, I'm not saying don't do this, but they'll say, Colby, can you, I need you to pray for me as if I'm the only one wearing the ring. And oftentimes I'll, I'll reply, I, I won't pray for you, but I will agree with you. I will agree with you. You need to know that if you're in Christ, you have this ring, you have access to that. See, I'm just keenly aware that I have on his ring. And that anything you ask, you say, enemy, you know, this pattern in my life, this sin that's in my life, I can't break free. The Bible says, if you ask it in the name of Jesus, you know, devil, you gotta be gone. It says he's gotta go. And people will say, but he's not leaving me. I'm finding myself in this pattern. No, you just think that he's still there because here's what actually is happening. You say, devil, be gone, you gotta go. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. I'm not leaving. I'm gonna be in your life for the rest of your life. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just hanging right here in your life. I'm staying here. But he's gone. He's gone. Some of you just think that he's there whispering to you, but you don't understand the power that you have in the name of Jesus. You have the robe of righteousness that when he looks at you, he only sees his perfect sinless son. You are wearing his ring. And then the last thing that happens in the story, and I'm praying this happens for many of you in this room today, is that the son comes home and every time you'd come into a house in this culture, they would wash your feet. And you gotta think about where the son has been. He's dirty, he smells like pig feces. His feet were probably muddy and cracked and bloody and gross and dirty and nasty. And many of us in this room, we, we feel that way sometimes. It says he washed his feet. He probably had pig feces stuck between his toes. And not only did he wash his feet, it says then he put sandals put shoes on his feet. The father took this to another level, another step. Not only were his feet clean, but he, he gave him 
these shoes that made him comfortable. And it reminds me of Ephesians 6 where it talks about the armor of God. And it says, he will shod your feet with the gospel of peace. That this right here feels like a whirlwind in your life sometimes, does it not? That I can't break free, that I find myself in freedom for a bit, then I experience prosperity and then bondage and it feels like this tornado that happens over and over and over again. But today God wants to bring peace to your life. He wants to shod your feet with the gospel of peace. So this is what I wanna do. It's gonna be a little different. It's gonna be aggressive. Some of you that are the first time guests here today, you're thinking, what did I get myself into? I'll be nicer next week, all right? I'm just saying. I want to pray over you today. A prayer of freedom. To break free from those things that are keeping you in that cycle, whatever it is in your life. And this is what I'm asking you to do. Everyone just stand up where you are. Stand up where you are. And right here, right now, I'm praying that God brings the freedom that comes when we know Him, love Him, give our lives to follow Him, but then also engage in this process, that this journey that is just not gonna happen in this moment, but it's going to be a process of freedom every single day that you receive the truth of God into your life and that you reject the lies of the enemy, that whatever it is that you're going through. So let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes in this room. And this is what I'm asking for some of you. If you're willing to do this, just, just take your hands and put them palms up. Palms up. This is just kind of receiving from God. It, it puts you in a different state. It puts you in a different mindset when you just have your hands up and you receive this from God. Let me pray this over you today. Today in Jesus' name, we, this church, God, come before you and completely surrender to you. We ask that right now you would break free the spirit of bondage in our lives, that you would break us free from, from pride, that you would break free in Jesus' name the spirit of, of selfishness, of greed, God, of anxiety, that you would break free in Jesus' name those suicidal thoughts that are in this room, that right now you would release us, that you would set us free in Jesus' name, that right now you would, God, come into our lives, that you would free us from from thoughts of depression, from thoughts of greed, from thoughts of, of lust, of pornography, God, that you would eradicate that from our lives, that we would fully be set free in the name of Jesus Christ, that today as we call on your name, that we understand we have power in Jesus, that we have authority in Jesus, and right now we claim that power and authority in Jesus' name. Set us free, we pray. Though today, you would break that stronghold. That at the name of Jesus, all those things that are holding us back, that are keeping us in bondage, you would break that stronghold. You would set us free. There is no name like the name of Jesus. There is no name other than Jesus. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, Share your story online at elevateerie.tv.